it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we appreciate being here all week long. Started in Jacksonville, made my way back to New York. Odd week, not on TV because we're doing the Royals coverage, and I'm against Royals. Uh, I really don't know why put a powerless person in power and salute them as if they had something to do with their success. But I'm glad the Queen was on the throne for 70 years. And it's kind of interesting that uh, it was interesting to see Harry and Meghan booed in England. Just wait till they see when his book comes out. Uh, I'm sure they'll even, I'm sure the whole country, the continent, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland will boo him too. Uh, Evidently, it's going to be really damning on the royals. And I'm feigning interest. So let's move to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Uh, came to the same conclusion that this would be transitory. So they all made a mistake. Uh, and I think the president probably would be, would be helpful if he acknowledged that he made a mistake, uh, along with the uh, Treasury Secretary and the other economists. Uh, yeah, that is Leon Panetta, a Democrat. Admit you were wrong about inflation, baby formula, and gas prices. That's what Dems are saying and showing when it comes to the economy as Americans buckle under the extreme financial stress. We'll explain. Number two. This man cannot remain power. We do not have a strategy of regime change in Russia. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. The United States remains committed to our one China policy. A nine millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. He does not support a ban on the sale of all handguns. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, mayhem mounting as the Biden's dysfunctional White House airs their dirty laundry to their friends at CNN, NBC, and the Washington Post. The content of these stories shows moderate Joe's an extreme disaster. Blame is thrown everywhere, and we, the American people, are the collateral damage. Number one. This is not about taking away anyone's guns. It's about vil- not about vilifying gum o- gun owners. In fact, we believe we should be treating responsible gun owners as an example of how every gun owner should behave. At the same time, the Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. Here we go. Gun Groundhog Day. By the way, I hate gun owners as well as gun owners, just for the record. Uh, Gun Groundhog Day has begun. Our nation is horrified by the mass shootings, but fractured on the reasons. Biden took to prime time to blame guns. Republicans call for security and sanity. The Senate's focusing on common ground. Emotions are boiling over. And I ask you, did that speech last night help or hurt? I'll give you the pluses. Number one, I thought it was his best speech in a long time because he actually felt it. I'm not saying uh, the mechanics of which, I mean, he feels the horror of the 21 dead. He feels the horror of what happened in Buffalo. He sees what happens and remembers what happened in Sandy Hook. I understand that. So we all do, too. But it was well delivered. I got I to note it when it does. Rarely happens when I sense that he was familiar with the copy. So to put that uh, clipboard down, but he was now on the content of it. I, I don't get what he's saying. Assault bans is not going to happen. Uh, when you talk about gun manufacturers, you are actually going to go after gun manufacturers. That's like going after automobiles or or Ford because a Ford F-150, a drunk driver ran over somebody. So let's go after Ford and find Ford. No, you don't do that. Uh, you know, you if someone 
Uh, if someone gets arrested in a Macy's uh, drunk and wrecks the place, you don't close Macy's. So I don't even understand the gun manufacturing things an outright attack on the gun industry. The gun industry is not the problem. It's people buying the guns. It has not been a problem as of late, but more than it has over the last 10, 15 years. So no one's going to buy into that. The assault weapons ban is not going to happen. There is no proof that the assault weapons ban did anything. The president keeps citing studies that did not exist. Let's enact red flag laws when it's possible. I'd like to see it done. I think they're working on that behind closed doors. That could be the commonality that we're seeing. And what I'm talking about that is not what rolled out of the House, but what's been working on uh, via Zoom for the most part with Senator Cornyn and Senator Murphy. Uh, Senator Murphy said this yesterday. President Biden is right. Doing nothing is not an option. Over the last week, I've been in almost constant communication with my colleagues to find common ground on meaningful bipartisan package. That will save lives. Momentum is building, and we're going to keep at it to make sure we meet the moment and deliver for the overwhelming majority of Americans demanding change. Here's the thing. If there's some stuff they can do, you should do it. But why Democrats don't think that hardening schools and security nationwide is, a, is, is something we should do is crazy. The president's talking about a movement to expand mental, mental health resources in schools. Great. Why can't you also have security increases in schools? You look at the Secret Service that used to be around presidents in the 1960s and 1950s and 1980s and compare it to now. You've got a mini army every day. Things change. Demands change. Society changes. The American public, the amount of enemies that we have, the, the size of agencies. So Republicans want to harden the schools, and the press secretary said she's not really into that. So the president said this, I think, 17 times. Cut one. We spent hours with hundreds of family members who were broken and whose lives will never be the same. They had one message for all of us. Do something. Just do something. For God's sake, do something. In a 17-minute address, he said enough 11 times. So for God's sakes, I think uh, off the top of my head, about four times. So if you, you know, this was written in Axios today. If GOP senators are looking for any excuse to bail on these negotiations, the president gave it to them last night. He called for specifics, including an assault weapons ban that are non-starters. We need to uh, ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, the non-starters. And for people that know guns, understands when it comes to magazines, you basically nullified all handguns. What I think is one of the stupidest things ever, I do not understand. I understand people in parties are all over the map. But if you try to get something done and something as controversial as guns or abortion, every word matters. And if you have something to say, say it to your party behind closed doors. But Congressman Mondaire Jones, who's got to fight for his seat evidently against de Blasio in this newly drawn up district, side note, uh, has a rant yesterday. And in the rant... He basically exposed every argument that Republicans claim that Democrats really want to do. In this argument, he basically let it be known exactly where he stands and what they will do to get guns out of this country. Cut six. Enough of your thoughts and prayers. Enough. Enough. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it, and we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. 
Each and every day, we will do whatever it takes to end gun violence, whatever it takes. Okay. Number one, you're in New York City where gun violence is through the roof, where the mayor has to come out with a gun czar, which is ridiculous, uh, to try to get guns off our streets, where stop and frisk was just stopped, where people are being shot and killed on a regular basis. It's not just about Uvalde for you or Buffalo last week for you, uh, Congressman. Are you kidding me? Every single thing that you said is the so-called paranoid rantings of Republicans that Democrats always claim. So you'll do anything to pass gun laws and get guns off the streets. For legal gun owners, is that true? So Congressman Jim Jordan listens to this. Every, by the way, emotions boiling over. Cut seven. Now we know where they want to go. We just said it. In the filibuster, expand the court, forget the Constitution. Now we know. Democrats blame guns. They criticize the NRA. They call Republicans names. But let's be honest. They've told us what they want to do. Their real beef is with the Second Amendment. Forget the Constitution. They want to, they want to, they want to change the country in so many dramatic ways. The gentleman from New York just talked about getting rid of the filibuster, packing the court. We know they want to pack the court because the chairman of this committee introduced a bill 14 months ago to pack the court. So they're about to lose the Senate. There's an excellent chance, probably, I think, a 70 percent chance they're going to lose the Senate. So with, I don't know, six months to go, you want to give Republicans power to pass almost anything they want because the odds on favored after the inept way this president has acted and performed and the results tell it all. You actually want to give the power over to Republicans. And by the way, I'm pretty sure they don't lean on New York congressmen to find out what they should do in the Senate on packing the court. I don't know if you met Kirsten Cinema. I'm not really sure you're familiar with John Tester or if you run across Joe Manchin, but they will stop you. So it's OK to rant. But what you did and what the president did last night is basically give Republicans a reason to bail out of something they don't feel comfortable with. They're blaming the gun. They don't want to touch security. They want to get rid of assault weapons bans. Then they wanted to regulate with the, how, how you lock up a gun in your own house. And if you don't lock it up correctly, then all of a sudden you have a reason to have it taken. And if Mrs. Jones thinks that you're acting irrationally down the block, cops will come, confiscate your guns. You're going to have to go to court to get it back. That's the fear with the red flag laws. Everybody wants to stop that lunatic in Uvalde and that nut uh, 18-year-old, both 18, uh, but the 18-year-old that went to Buffalo, the racist lunatic. And actually, I'd like to stop the subway bomber, too. But I don't want to ruin the lives of gun owners who happen to have a passion for it, concerned about the security, or just love target ranges or love hunting. So when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Admiral James Stravides. Not only does he have a, a book out, I want to get the latest on the Ukraine war. They say coverage of the Ukraine war is falling 22 percent. Not here. It matters. And I hope you understand it does. And then Ben Dominich from the Federalist Fox News contributor will join us after that. We'll close the hour with your calls. And don't forget to uh, get ready for One Nation. Set your DVR Saturday night at 8 o'clock, repeated at 11 on the Fox News Channel. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. As of now, nearly 20% of our territory is under the control of occupiers, almost 125,000 square kilometers. It is more than the territory of all Benelux countries together. Nearly 300,000 square kilometers are polluted with mines and unexploded ordnance. That is uh, President Zelensky talking um, in luck to Luxembourg, letting everybody know what's going on. As hard as they're fighting and, the, and as much as success as they've had and the struggles the Russians have had, they still have 20 percent or a fifth of the country. No one has to tell Admiral James Stravitas this, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, author of a brand new book. Uh, his latest one is Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision. Uh, and we know about all his other successful books. Uh, Admiral, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. Well, I think you could do a whole book on leadership and Zelensky, correct? Uh, he's amazing. And uh, it's a combination of three things, I think, that really stand out to me. Number one, his pure, raw, physical courage. This was a guy who was offered a ride out of the country by the United States when the war started, said, I don't need a ride. Send me more ammunition. Number two, he's a powerful communicator. He's been able to use his background as a performer, frankly, uh, very effectively in strategic communications that have galvanized the West. And third and finally, he's turning out to be a pretty smart tactician where he is positioning his forces, moving them around on the battlefield, moving those chess pieces. You know, he gets advice from his senior military, but his fingerprints are all over it. There's a lot to admire about Volodymyr Zelensky. You know, and it's not like if General Patton became president, you would say this is the leader that we have. This is one that emerged in the battlefield in both world wars. But we didn't really know what this guy was capable of. Why do you think he was able to answer the answer the uh, rise to the moment? First and foremost, motivation. You know, if you're Volodymyr Zelensky and you look over your shoulder from the front lines of the battlefield, who's behind you? It's your wife, your children. His wife and children were targets two, three, and four on the Russian kill list. Also behind him, his parents, the elders of Ukraine, his fellow citizens, his language, his culture, his city. So huge motivation, let's face it. And number two, what what we're seeing about him is the the ability to operate under extreme press pressure, um, getting rid of the, the suit and tie, putting on the hunting gear, the tactical gear, inspiring people. He's done that perfectly. You know, the, the book I just wrote is called To Risk It All. He's someone who risks it all every day, and I salute his courage. Right, and also the, yeah, the assassination squads. So we're 100 days into this war. Ukraine, this is a good news for Ukraine. They've ta- retaken 20 small towns. They obviously were successful in hauling, uh, holding off the Russians in the first phase. But in the second phase of the war, uh, and by the way, 50, of the, 50 nations have restaffed their embassies. That's good news. But the bad news yep. is they lost a fifth of their country, and Vladimir Putin's trying to take another major city. 
Uh, how do you characterize what we're seeing so far? Yeah, I think you're right to call it kind of phase one, phase two, and it's important to do that. It's important to remember that in phase one, Putin's objective, his goal was to take the entire country, to sweep across it. So huge credit to the Ukrainians for stopping that alongside all of us in the West who provided the tools that the Ukrainians did to 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 stop it. So phase one goes to the Ukrainians. Now we're in phase two, your point. And this one is right in the middle of the fight, Brian. Um, my money is on Ukraine to kind of hold the Russians roughly where they are. They may get a little more territory, but I don't think Russian logistics, battle planning, communications are going to enable them to really step it up on that battlefield. So phase two is is roughly what we see. There's going to be a kind of grinded out sense here. And then phase three is what's interesting. I think two things will happen. One is some of this conflict may shift to the sea, to the Black Sea, particularly if the West tries to open up grain shipments. And of course, phase three, I think, will end up with negotiation, because at some point there has to be a negotiation, an armistice, if you will, to well, end this conflict. A couple of things are happening. People are losing interest in it. 22 percent less media coverage of it. Uh, that hurts mm-hmm. Ukraine, even though Zelensky's done a great job. He even did a, a Zoom call with the, the Stanford University going to various countries. So we know this. Uh, one thing we have agreed to do is include four high-mobility artillery rocket systems. Mm-hmm. We're going to send that over. But the battle lines, they say, the front is 620 miles long from Kharkiv to Mykolaiv. Uh, right now, that's what will four missile systems do for that? Uh, short answer, not enough. Um, we've got to put more of that kind of capability in their hands. Also in that package, again, a good thing, but not enough are four more of the uh, the principal helicopters that can deliver munitions moving forward. Um, you know, the administration here, uh, the NATO countries together, have done a remarkable job pushing the tools forward. But the Ukrainians need more. And, and we ought to also keep this in perspective as follows, Brian. During Iraq and Afghanistan, we were spending 10, 20 times the amount we're spending on Ukraine every day. So we have the capacity to do this. It's a it's a seminal moment for the West, and we've got to continue to step it up. High Mars, these uh, missile launching systems, good example of additional capability. Last thought, you know, that battle line you just mentioned, that's from Washington, D.C., down to a town you and I know pretty well, Jacksonville, Florida. Think about how big that is, how much of a space. So the Ukrainians right. have a lot of work to do. We need to put the tools in their hands to I, do it. I love where they're, like, they're going into Kyrgyzstan and trying to rattle the cages yeah. uh, in Mariupol uh, to let them know just because you, you have control of it, we're going we're yeah. to do the guerrilla fashion. The name of the Admiral's book is called Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decisions. If you're looking for a Father's Day book that will inspire – uh, this is a perfect way to do it uh, because that's it. People that rise to the moment, you have to wonder if you would be able to rise to the moment, no matter how small or big your decisions are. Admiral, thanks so much. Brian, thanks for everything. You got it. Uh, we come back. Ben Dominich puts this in perspective. The president's speech last night and these friendly outlets that seem to be turning on him and the civil war that's happening in the White House itself.
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. We do not have a strategy of regime change in Russia. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. The United States remains committed to our one China policy. We do not support Taiwan independence. A nine millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. It is simply no rational basis for it in terms of what we hear about self-protection. He supports a ban on sale of assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. He does not support a ban on the sale of all handguns. All right. Uh, beside the nine millimeter comment, besides the this man's got to go comment, besides uh, we will use our military to defend Taiwan comment, I think they're all on the same page. Uh, ben Dominic joins us now. Uh, he's with the Federalist, but Fox News contributor as well. Hey, Ben, this is a pretty amazing week. We have uh, not only have we witnessed the walkbacks, now we find out behind the scenes the president's upset about it. And not only is uh, are we saying it, and we've heard that. But NBC, CNN, Washington Post is reporting that. Not a good week for this administration. It seems like they're beginning to panic. You know, it, it, is, it is not a good week in any way for this administration. And unfortunately, you know, I wish that that uh, would have less of a negative impact on the country itself. You never yeah. want it as an American to see an administration that people have so little confidence in. You know, you want to be able to, on some level, have uh, trust and faith in, in an administration, even if you objected to him. And of course, I did vociferously on so many different policy respects. You know, Barack Obama, you got to give it to him, had the guts to pull the trigger on that bin Laden raid, which was a risky proposition at the time and which obviously Joe Biden was opposed to uh, behind the scenes. You want to be able to have a commander in chief who, when the chips are down, has the ability to uh, make a decision that is critical for the future of the country and the world. Unfortunately, we don't have that in Joe Biden. And we have instead behind the scenes uh, this dynamic that apparently, you know, we've all kind of suspected it from what we saw on the outside, but on the inside, it turns out they're saying the same thing too. They're they're basically, you know, uh, feeling this tension with Joe and he's feeling the tension with them where he has to remind them that he's the president. Uh, He has to remind them that he's the commander in chief. That's not a good thing for the country. Uh, And, you know, what's more, uh, James Holman, who's uh, now at the the post, uh, you know, has uh, reported uh, that a lot of this uh, stuff that the president is saying about, for instance, uh, student loan forgiveness is coming from the likes of Stacey Abrams, you know, uh, someone who is obviously a repeatedly failed candidate, um, who is not, you know, someone who, uh, you know, you can have uh, any kind of political faith in about knowing that and charting the direction for the country is destined, I'm sure, uh, to end up losing again and refusing to admit her loss. Uh, and I think that that's something that, you know, is a sign uh, that the White House is really listening to the wrong people. Uh, they're taking the wrong cues. And the people who are inside there, they, they just don't seem to be able to convince Joe that this isn't working, that, you know, there's something fundamentally wrong. You see the statements from people like Ron Klain chief of staff, you know, basically saying this is okay and, you know, the, the polls are wrong or, you know, things are things are going to get better. You know, they, they pick up these little, you know, seedlings of, of the idea that, you know, Joe's numbers move up two points uh, and that means that everything's getting turned around as the country is basically looking at this White House and doesn't even want to pay attention to it anymore. They want to tune it out. It's as embarrassing as, as the, the uh, elderly guy at the dinner table who just uh, is telling the same story over and over again and people just want to look away. Yeah, there's people that have been around 
around for 30 years and there's other people with new ideas and they just get shut out. So the headlines that we've seen this week, NBC, inside a Biden White House adrift. The Washington Post, White House scrambles on inflation after Biden complains to aides. CNN, beneath Biden struggle to break through is a deeper dysfunction among White House aides. Really? And then I'm looking at uh, a, a congresswoman who comes out and says on inflation, she has absolutely no faith. Uh, faith. She's uh, Stephanie Murphy of Florida. She says, this is not a time for political games. It's not the time for finding a a boogeyman. They are struggling. This is not a time uh, for somebody to point fingers. Biden is frustrated. It's not one thing. It's another. She went on to say the White House has failed to put forward anything uh, that's intellectually honest when it comes to combating inflation. Now, I'm used to, I don't know, Ted Cruz saying that. I believe that. (laughs) I'm listening to, you know, I listen to this. their economists spin things out. But when you have people on the left saying that, and Leon Panetta said something really interesting yesterday, Janet Yellen clearly was told, who knows that she believes it, that she was told to take the fall and admit Mm -hmm. that she was wrong about the inflation uh, being transitory. Uh, She was told to come out and basically said this was my fault. But, you know, I'm looking at Leon Panetta yesterday, and he hopped on with Neil, former chief of staff for uh, for Bill Clinton and, you know, uh, former secretary of defense, former CIA director. And uh, here's what he said that he should be doing. Cut 28. Well, there's no question that uh, uh, the administration needs to develop uh, a clear strategy as to how they're going to deal uh, with the inflation threat. I think that uh, it would be well for the president uh, as well as, uh, look, it was not not just uh, the Treasury Secretary. It was a whole group of economists. Uh, it was the White House. Uh, right. It was others that came to the same conclusion uh, that this would be transitory. So they all made a mistake. Uh, and I think the president uh, probably would be, be helpful if he acknowledged that he made a mistake, uh, along with the uh, Treasury Secretary and the other economists, but that he is now going to take steps to try to deal with it. But what does it say that Leon Panetta has to say that on Fox to try to get through to the White House. <laughs> well, it says is that what it says is that the White House is so uh, tone deaf, so unwilling to listen to people, even established people like Leon Panetta, uh, that they're basically having to take this argument to the public. And I think well, you know one of the things that you saw uh, in the in the past, you know, under you know the the Democrats uh, would criticize uh, decisions that were made under the Trump administration by saying people would go on TV to make the argument that they wanted the president to hear, and then he would take note of it and he would respond to it. I never thought that that was a bad thing. I thought it was actually a good way to get yeah. up, get a lot of ideas uh, out there. Um, it, it turns out this time around. They've been trying to run the White House the old way of doing things, and it's a lot of people who really only care what's on the front page of the New York Times and the Washington Post. Uh, they don't really care what is going on in terms of the conversations that are happening behind the scenes. Uh, and that, to me, is a sign uh, that you know things, things are really starting to crack. They're looking at the same poll numbers that you and I are seeing for November uh, and the wave that is really awaiting them that is going to sweep out of power an entire generation of, of Democratic leadership in the Congress, uh, and I think is going to right. uh, really upend the conversation in Washington. And they don't have an answer for it. They don't have an answer for why any of this has gone wrong, because the answer really is we got our economic policy wrong. We didn't listen to the critics uh, who were proven right by everything that's happened since. Uh, and we've been tuning everybody out who we should have right. been listening to. Ben Dominic, deep thinker from The Federalist, Fox News contributor. So they really took a step back, too, when they lost Jen Psaki. Whatever you want to think about it, she did a great job uh, for the administration. Because she had to do a lot of walking back and be able to respond on her feet. And I give her credit 
for putting uh, Peter Ducey on the people to call on list every day. But this Corinne Jean-Pierre is is absolutely awful. And I watched her as a commentator. She loved just teeing off on Trump. She was smooth. She was concise. And she was unsparingly brutal. Now she's trying to be a diplomat, and she does not even know the issues. That's the problem, Ben. You might say you or I are bad at doing that job, but we didn't have to be drilled on the issues. We do this, and people might love this show and disagree with Ben and Brian, but we know what we're talking about. Well, this is our opinion about what's going on, all right? I'm fine with that. But this woman's got to read her own name to understand where to, and, the, and the location of the podium to understand where she's at. So now, not only is Peter asking the questions, but so is, and here's NBC's Kelly O'Donnell on when the president knew about the baby formula problem, which was which was was apparent in December and was known to the manufacturers who called Walmart and Target in January. Cut 24. On the issue of who briefed the president on baby formula, to say there is no specific person is not a satisfactory answer. When you have senior uh, assistance to the president, mm-hmm. there's a paper trail, I'm sure, about briefings to the president. There's a domestic policy council. There's a chief of staff. I think what, what I'm trying to say, there are so many issues that come up uh, that is presented to the president, as you know. You've covered, you've covered many administrations. And there are just regular channels that, that happen that go to the president. Like We're also all reporting on the consumer side of it, of what you're doing, putting out and trying to get information. But we're also trying to understand the information flow in this White House, and it's important for us to get that answer, which is why we're going to keep asking it until we get that answer. No, you you have every right to keep asking. That's why I'm here. Look, there are regular channels. Uh, He is briefed by his senior White House uh, staff, um, and that is just the process that we have. I'm I'm not going to confirm who it was. See, this isn't political points. This isn't about a policy or even gun control. Mm -hmm. This is about how a kid is going to be getting formula which can't be made at home. He's acting like he's bragging about getting formula from Australia and France and Mexico. You want a pat on the back for that, Mr. President? Are you nuts? It's it's incredible to me that in a moment like this, you would see this White House uh, resorting to, well, you know, there's a lot on the president's plate. And and the thing is, you know, that's it's like okay, so you're the first president to have to deal with a hundred things at once. You know, this is this is your job. This is the thing you've been running and trying to do for half of a century. And now that you've got it, it seems to be you know something that you're completely unprepared for, and that your team is unprepared for. You know, they're putting their hopes in the idea of, of bringing Anita Dunn back uh, in a she's, you know, she's already back, but in a, in a bigger role after the election. And it's it's just like you you have no answer for something as basic as you knew this in advance you know when was the president told why didn't something happen and that's something that i think you know in this administration it's it's so good that you made the point brian that this is not about an ideological policy debate this is about a very basic challenge that uh, that the white house knew about well in advance that it could have taken steps on in that moment and look the biggest driver of of pricing and of the uh the collapse of uh baby formula making into a handful of companies in America 
is the WIC program, the program that is run out of the federal government uh, that pays uh, uh, the, for all of this formula that goes primarily to uh, lower income uh, you know, women and their infants, et cetera. They're a major driver of uh, you know, the people who are allowed to participate in this and the regulations uh, that go behind it. And they're a big part of the reason why we can't import uh, the kind of formula that is widely available around the world to lots of other countries that don't have a problem with feeding their kids. And that's something that I think is you know a, a basic failure of our trade policy. You could have looked at that and said, you know, hey, you know, how do we get around this in the moment so that we don't have any starving babies and that people are able to get what they're trying to do instead of having you know mom and dad and grandparents trying to smuggle formula into the country past customs. I mean, that's just pathetic. It's sad. It's awful. And and yet when we look around. We thought or we were told that Joe Biden was going to represent some kind of return to normalcy, a return to bipartisanship, a return, uh, you know, tampering down on, on uh, all of these, you know, culture war heated battles that we saw uh, take place in the previous years. He's done the opposite, and he's been incompetent to boot in ways that I think uh, everyone, you know, in their heart of hearts would acknowledge, uh, even the, the, you know, uh, Democrat water carriers in the media who – frankly, are getting embarrassed by him and are starting to get fed up with him. That's why you're seeing all of these reports come at once, uh, you know, six months out from an election. It's because they're trying to they're trying to sort of, you know, lay the groundwork for the uh, for blaming him for the Democratic woes that are going to come in November when it's a, a lot of it has to do with the extremist policies that they have pursued mm-hmm. and the fact that they're so out of touch with America. They want to make this just about, oh, this is an incompetent White House and incompetent Joe Biden when in reality, it's that an incompetent Joe Biden went along with progressivism and ideology and an ideology uh, that is far out of step with the American people. How about this? You name an FDA director for a year in the middle of a pandemic. And then when the FDA does do it, their nine person committee that was handling this, the FDA doesn't feel compelled to report that we've destroyed this Abbott lab, maybe for a good reason, I assume. But that is going to affect 40 percent of the baby food market. This is January. The F- so I would call the FDA director in the acting. Are you kidding me? You didn't tell me this. The Commerce Secretary, Health and Human Services Secretary, Bashara, who's been an epic fail, who has no qualifications for the job. The Commerce None. Secretary, I would call them all in. Just go, you know, I was not informed of this. this is an inexcusable act of execution. There's going to be a change here. You know, and that's what Maybe Trump this is used what to happened. do. Yeah. Maybe this is what happens, Brian, when you put uh, political hacks like Becerra into positions where you actually need some expertise yeah. in order to have you know, the, the charge of running the Department of Health and Human Services in a time of a, of a pandemic and of challenges like this. Uh, and it's, unfortunately, this is the reality of the Biden administration. It's a bunch of political hacks who were not ready for prime time. They were the C and D teams of the Obama administration, and now they're in roles that they just are not prepared to fulfill. Uh, well, you always prepare for the segment and uh, for the issues, Ben. They should put you into this administration. Do not be surprised if they heard this segment and will be calling you. Uh, ben Dominic, to the Federalists and Fox News. I, I implore you not to leave, but I'm sure the offers will come at the top of the hour. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. No Have problem, Go get them. one 408 We're going to come back. I'm going to give you a chance to talk uh, about what you heard last night uh, and what should happen when it comes to guns today as well as everything else on the plate. It looks like uh, there's a civil war within the White House, and we all lose, but let's talk about it. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
a talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Male gametes. That's what makes me male. No, your, your sperm don't make you male. Then what does? It's a constellation. In reality, in truth, okay? Whose truth are we talking about? The same truth that says we're sitting in this room right now, you and I. No, you're not listening. If I, if I see a chicken laying eggs and I say that's a female chicken laying eggs, did I assign female or am I just observing a physical reality that's happening in the world? Does a chicken have gender identity? Does a chicken cry? Well, a Does chi- a chicken commit suicide? Let's frame it. Because you're talking, you're trying a to... A chicken has sex like any, like any biological organism. A chicken has an assigned gender, but a chicken doesn't have a gender identity. So we assign female to chickens when they lay eggs? That's a, we that's- assume they're female if they lay eggs. So this is a documentary that uh, that was just put out. Who put this out? Matt Walsh just put this out, and it's what is a woman? Because people are, are having this gender identity thing, and we're talking about it in schools, and now we're talking about it in life. There's some weird agenda out there to make transsexual transsexuality cool. Uh, and he and what is a woman? What is a man? We saw a Supreme Court justice not be able to answer that question. Should have been a disqualifying moment. But why? Because she knows all this thing is happening because it's going to be a court case that comes down the line shortly. Uh, but this goes out the absolute what a farce it is um, among these people who are just clueless. We've taken these fringe people and made them mainstream. And this administration uh, fully supporting that. It's it's absolutely insane. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is just some of, some of the craziness that's gone on. And if you look at Stacey Abrams, now people are starting to scrutinize her. They see that she's very good on her feet. They see how smart she is. Uh, they see that she got a lot of votes in Georgia, kind of a bit of a shock before the, the big shock we got in 2020. But people look at Stacey Abrams, and they look at the agenda that she has. She's all for the woke stuff. She's all for CRT. Uh, she's all for the pronoun stuff. And I think the people of Georgia, who we have uh, two affiliates in Georgia, are listening right now. And just ask yourself. You might be saying, well, I'm in the middle and Brian Kemp kind of ticked me off about something. I'm not sure. But you got to ask yourself, is, do you want to be dealing with that in your kid's school? I, you have to send a message in the midterms that this crap has to stop. Even if you don't want it to stop, for your own political survival, it has to stop. But unfortunately, there are more and more left, left, left Democrats making their way through, breaking through. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade coming to you from uh, New York City at 48th and 6th, but heard around the country, heard around the world. We're at the Fox News World Headquarters. Uh, um, thanks for being with me all week long. Uh, I missed Monday, but we had a great best of that we put together as we uh, reflected on Memorial Day. This hour, we're going to be joined by Geraldo. No one has to remind him about the significance of that day. He's seen more war zones than probably anybody else you've known. One of those finest football players, great person, real person of character. Mike Singletary will be with us. We know Father's Day a couple of weeks away, and he talks about the needs of fathers in society. He's going to be joining us, too. And then we're going to uh, do a uh, simulcast on FBM, one of the fastest-growing 
networks and all of cable. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. Uh, came to the same conclusion that this would be transitory. So they all made a mistake. Uh, and I think the president... Probably would be be helpful if he acknowledged that he made a mistake, uh, along with the uh, Treasury Secretary and the other economists. Uh, yes, uh, that was Leon Panetta. A Democrat, admit you were wrong about inflation, baby formula, gas prices. Pick one. That's what Dems are saying and showing when it comes to the economy. As America's buckle, Americans buckle into the extreme financial stress, we'll explain. Number two. This man cannot remain power. We do not have a strategy of regime change. In Russia. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. The United States remains committed to our one China policy. A nine millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. He does not support a ban on the sale of all handguns. <laughs> uh, gun Groundhog Day has begun. Our nation is horrified by the mass shootings, but fractured on the reasons. Biden took the prime time to blame guns. Republicans call for security and sanity. The Senate's focused on common ground. Emotions are boiling over. And the president, look, I would say this. I've been critical of him on his remarks. A lot of time he mumbles his way through him. He doesn't seem into him, doesn't get familiar himself with his copy. But that wasn't the case last night. He obviously was motivated. Who isn't moved? Do you talk to anybody that isn't horrified by Uvalde or what happened in Buffalo? Uh, that ra- that raging racist going up, that 18-year-old, to kill black people. The subway shooter killing white people. And then this person killing any grammar school person. Perhaps the motivation was because his grandmother worked there, who he shot in the face. What do we say about these people? Number one. This is not about taking away anyone's guns. It's about vil- not about vilifying gum o- gun owners. In fact, we believe we should be treating responsible gun owners as an example of how every gun owner should behave. At the same time, the Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. Yeah, that is the president of the United States. Uh, Did he make things worse? I liked his speech uh, that he gave, but I don't like the content of it is not helpful. Why? Because they're not going to ban assault weapons. It's not practical. It's not what the American people are. A lot of people are, you know, non-gun people, but... When you have the Second Amendment and you feel as though people are taking it away, when you see what happened in Canada, Cuba, Venezuela, Australia, uh, they'll, they don't have a Bill of Rights in their Constitution, but they just decided the government were going to take it away. And what there is is a paranoia among the right especially that Democrats have an overall plan to do to guns what they're trying to do to energy. Gradually take away fossil fuels, gradually try to green the economy, gradually try to wipe out farmers because of the gas their cows give off, gradually wipe out the oil and gas industry because they say it's destroying the planet, gradually take out fracking. Even though they deny it, it's what they do. And then when Mondre Jones comes out and decides that this is what the country should do, this nondescript congressman from New York, this is exactly... Would, if you talk to gun owners who understand what owning a gun is and the responsibility that goes along with it, is exactly what they point to when they say, we will not budge. Cut six. Enough of your thoughts and prayers. Enough. Enough. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, We will abolish it. 
If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it. And we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. Each and every day, we will do whatever it takes to end gun violence, whatever it takes. Okay. Uh, By the way, I did not know he's more powerful than the president and everybody in the Senate. Has he met the Democrats that don't want anything to do with banning assault weapons? Uh, uh, All the things actually, um, I don't know, making gun manufacturers liable should some psychopath shoot up a mall? I mean, do we, when someone drives drunk, do we destroy Ford or Chevy? Do we try to get rid of General Motors because someone runs over somebody else irresponsibly? Getting rid of gun manufacturers is insidious. Guns have a role in our society. We have to rein in what's happening. I don't have all the answers. I think you can do stuff on red flag laws that could work. I think there's absolutely things you could do for minors that show an insanity and an unbalanced mental approach in 10th grade. That when they become 12th graders, they don't become school shooters. There's stuff that's got to be talked about securing schools. Let's do it. But when you go out and say crazy things like that, that's when people say, okay, uh, just what I'm worried about. Jim Jordan listened and responded. Cut seven. Now we know where they want to go. We just said it. End the filibuster, expand the court, forget the Constitution. Now we know. Democrats blame guns. They criticize the NRA. They call Republicans names. But let's be honest. They've told us what they want to do. Their real beef is with the Second Amendment. Forget the Constitution. They want to, they want to, they want to change the country in so many dramatic ways. The gentleman from New York just talked about getting rid of the filibuster, packing the court. We know they want to pack the court because the chairman of this committee introduced a bill 14 months ago to pack the court. I mean, it was Jim Jordan was like, really? You gave me this layup? When my constituents in Ohio were concerned about having their guns taken away? And there is a, you know, a red flag law. Listen, I want to stop Adam Lanza from shooting up Sandy Hook. Who doesn't? But if Bill Jones is a responsible gun owner and their neighbor doesn't like Bill Jones and the cops say, listen, we're getting reports that you're irresponsible with a gun. We're going to go see how it's locked up and they can go take it. Then you go to court to get it back. That's not going to stand. So when Senator Cornyn is talking with Senator Murphy, are they going to approach it like rational human beings? Are they going to talk talk to about human beings, uh, uh, about politicians? Rational human beings would say you do not want to just go into people's houses and take their guns because a neighbor complains. Uh, I do believe that when someone sells it to a family member, I like it registered just like when you sell your car. But it, and a background check done on that family member because the great uncle might have a crazy cousin. And I'm pretty sure we should know about the crazy cousin should get a background check. That gets gun owners upset. But, you know, I thought a great point by Jay Johnson, a Democrat who worked for President Obama said this about the NRA, and I agree. Cut 13. I don't understand why the NRA, responsible gun owners, people Mm. who are trained, people who hunt, people who actually need weapons uh, for the protection of their families, are not more outspoken about avoiding putting guns in the hands of irresponsible people. It seems to me the NRA would be far more credible on this issue if they would simply take the position, we are in favor of guns only in the hands of responsible gun owners like ourselves. I cherish a driver's license. If somebody crack, if the state cracks down on DUIs, I don't feel threatened. Right. 
Uh, Jay John, that's a great point. I would love to see the NRA out front. I want to find a way to make sure that Ramos doesn't get a gun because everybody around him knew he was crazy. He told friends in September he was going to shoot up a school. They thought it was going to be the high school. We know about the Buffalo shooter walked in in a hazmat suit, and he had really no friends. He was isolated during the pandemic. He lost his mind. Uh, and we looked at his writings online, and there was an issue. I'm sure if you really work this story, there's a lot of people in his family that knew it and cousins that knew it. But I think the NRA should be leading that charge. Why not? Because Willie Robertson, most most flagrant example, has been holding a gun since he was seven years old in Louisiana. Now I got to go tell Willie Robertson to tell his kids and his grandkids the new rule is you're not going to touch it till you're 18. Really? This is part of our culture that dates back 150 years. We go and actually shoot things. We eat them. We live off the land. I actually bring people out on hunting trips, and I was a guide at 16. And then you're into that. So don't sit here like in New York City or in Washington, D.C. when you never picked up a gun before or you have security surrounding you or at your building and tell everyone what needs to be done to stop the next 18-year-old shooter. I come back. I'm going to talk to uh, I'm going to talk to Geraldo about that, and then Mike Singletary. A lot of these uh, families are just uh, obviously beyond dysfunctional. You got a grandmother that gets shot in the face by her uh, grandkid. You got a mom living in a different house. Her dad who spent time in prison. Obviously, this kid was able to stay, to function outside the system, not even graduate high school. His anger uh, bubbles up. We can't make people great parents. But we can maybe educate people on the need to bring in family. Mike Singletary on the need for fatherhood and what he and Anthony Munoz are doing uh, over the next two weeks. You'll listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, there's no question that uh, uh, the administration needs to develop uh, a clear strategy as to how they're going to deal uh, with the inflation threat. I think that uh, it would be well for the president, uh, as well as uh, look, it was not not just uh, the Treasury Secretary. It was a whole group of economists. Uh, it was the White House. Uh, right. It was others that came to the same conclusion. Uh, that this would be transitory. So they all made a mistake. Uh, and I think the president uh, probably would be be helpful if he acknowledged that he made a mistake, uh, along with the uh, Treasury Secretary and the other economists, but that he is now going to take steps to try to deal with it. Uh, that is Leon Panetta, Democrat, former chief of staff, CIA director, secretary of defense for two Democratic administrations, Obama and Clinton. Joining me now is Geraldo Rivera. Uh, Geraldo, what about that approach? Hey, made a mistake, not just Janet Yellen and me. Here's my new approach. But instead, he defended himself and said it was the Fed's issue. When it comes to oil and gas, he's not going to go beg Saudi Arabia. He's already sent people over to Venezuela. Instead of admitting that stopping those pipelines and going out and incentivizing uh, drilling here at home would work. And that's basically what Leon Panetta is trying to say. It was so interesting hearing uh, Jimmy Carter and talking about peace between Israel and Egypt. And I remembered the inflation that 
really ran rampant during Carter's administration, where you really had double-digit inflation, and it was a scary thing. The only good thing is the you know, old ladies with savings accounts uh, suddenly were making a uh, you know windfall uh, interest. Uh, I don't know how he's going to deal with inflation. I don't. I don't know that anybody does. Uh, you got this uh, the wage price spiral thing going on. You got a lot of forces that are at play now. That aside from crashing the economy, I don't know how you fix it, Brian. Interesting. Uh, what you do is you they, what they did in the eighties was they lowered interest rates and they flooded the uh, flooded the country with supply. Now I know with the supply chain there's issues. But those are two things that did up the deficit to a degree. But those are two things that could happen. And the, one of the other things is, and you've heard everybody say it over and over again, is reinvigorate the oil and gas industry, incentivize people to start investing in it again. And the good news is you have on jobs, but the bad news is you can't fill all the jobs that are open. There's 11 million open, 7 million without jobs. We had 390,000 just last month. So you have some situations now, Raldo, where I'm watching CNN, MSN, and NBC as well as the Washington Post reports stories about a whole uh, the civil war that's happening in the White House about all this. Yeah, I don't I don't know anything about uh, this White House. I I have no real contacts. It's so it's so uh, it's like I went cold turkey after uh, after Trump. Uh, what what I see though, Brian, and it is uh, it's it's interesting and I think troubling from Biden's point of view is that. It was, in my view, I'm I'm just a layman. I, I did okay in economics, but it certainly wasn't my strong point. Uh, but you know, when you uh, when you start giving out billions of dollars in in so-called rescue money, and it kind of the the checks go out willy-nilly uh, to to many who deserve and many who don't. It is, uh, it, you know, the inflationary pressure of all that free money must have been intense. Uh, so. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what he does in that in that regard, other than he's got to, uh, in terms of reinvigorating the oil and gas industry, uh, the yes and the logic dictates that at a time of scarcity, that's when you try to increase supply. Uh, I, I totally get that in the pipelines that were, uh, you know, uh, inoperative or, or, or discontinued. Uh, I think that bringing those things online and getting the oil and gas industry hopping again is certainly one thing he can do. However, uh, the one thing that he has done seemingly successfully is to convince the green progressives in his party that he's serious about, uh, you know, moving people to electric vehicles and so forth. I think he's, he's on the wrong course. I think what should have been a 10-year plan became a 10-month plan. And, uh, you know, now he's going to have to deal with it. And how he does uh, will definitely determine how Democrats do in the midterms and whether or not he uh, he gets to be president for a second term in 2024. It's a long shot right now, and he's really in a tough spot. I feel sorry for him. I had a big argument with Hannity last night. Uh, Hannity called him old, decrepit, and uh, totally ineffective. And I thought that was kind of rude. Uh, but on the other hand, he's he's been... Uh, ineffective right. and and certainly not very vibrant and vital in terms of seizing the office. Well, the one thing is pretty clear, and we only have 90 seconds left, on the baby formula thing, saying to people, I'm not a mind reader, when we know the FDA found out about when they shut the plant down, they were told it's 40% of all baby formula, and they call, and the and the FDA knew about it, and they still did it, 
and for some reason they didn't inform him, and he walks around saying, well, I'm not a mind reader, that's scary detached, correct? Yeah, yeah. and, uh, you know, I I worry about how he didn't understand the implications of of the plant shutdown. I also... I'm also concerned that uh, our su- supply chain and some and a product so vital is so fragile that one company's uh, interruption of production causes this chaos. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know how you fix th- that particularly, but I really think that the big thing about the Biden administration is it has a lack of intellectual energy. It seems to me that everything they do, they sleepwalk. I know. Uh, everything they do is with these grand premeditated announcements that are cumbersome, sometimes don't fit the moment. Uh, and and the one thing about Trump is he was he was the energizer. He was constantly moving. He was, come on, let's get this done. Come on, gang, let's make a show. I don't see any of that verve and grit in the Biden administration, Brian. That is true. Uh, Geraldo Rivera, thanks so much. And there, that's the battle in the White House. People that have been around him 40 years and the new guys and the new women don't, don't have a place at the table. And 24 African-Americans have quit the White House because they felt they weren't being listened to. Horrendous. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Derek Ramsey, another fumble, and the Bears have it at the 43-yard line. Mike Singletary, when you hear the popping, you know he's right around it. But it was Sean Gale who delivered the blow, and Singletary covered the ball. Mike Singletary joins us now. Pro Football Hall of Famer, drafted by the Bears, never left. Super Bowl twenty champions, maybe the best defense in the history of the game. Pro uh, Hall of Famer since 98, but now he's still giving back. Uh, I'll hopefully he'll be coaching again, if that's when choose you want to do. Mike, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank Honored you. to be here. Uh, well, great. Uh, the Fatherhood Festival is coming up, providing uh, a chance for to talk in an open forum with very, some very well-known names about the needs for fathers in the home. Anthony Munoz helped put it together. He did have a situation where his dad wasn't in the home for a lot of his young life, knows what he missed, and you are part of trying to give back to that. Before we talk about the game and life, could you talk about why it's important for you to be involved in this big event? Well, you know, first of all, it's happening June 17th uh, through uh, Sunday the 19th. And uh, it's a Father's Day weekend, and it's going to be at the uh, Hall of Fame Village in Canton, Ohio. And uh, we're really excited about uh, everyone that's going to be there. It's going to be fun for everybody and, uh, you know, even mom. So, so we're very excited. We're going to have music. And the reason it's really important for fathers to be there and fathers to care is because I, our country um, is dependent on it. And I, I really believe that there are a lot of things that we can talk about. You know, we can talk about, uh, you know, jobs. We can talk about, uh, you know, what's happening uh, with our kids. We can talk about what's happening in our marriages. We can talk about, but I, I believe it's going to start with fathers being equipped with how to run their households, how to uh, stand with that mom and make a difference in in that home and uh, lead their kids in, in, in a way that, 
would uh, make a difference. Yeah, I mean, get your tickets, Ticketmaster.com, and one of the highest country music stars, Jordan Davis, is going to be there, the Buy, uh, the Buy Dirt Tour, uh, which is song, I think it's uh, number one in the country. So, Mike, uh, you personify leadership uh, with one of the best defenses around, even when the uh, even when the Bears were emerging. You always heard about the leadership of this middle linebacker who never should have been this good. What role did your dad play in your life? You know, it's really interesting. My my dad, uh, I, I really didn't think up until 12 years old because he and my mom divorced when I was 12. I didn't think he did a great job until I got older. Um, at 12 years old, I had been around him enough. I had worked with him enough. He was in the construction business, had our own business. And his work ethic, uh, being able to just watch him, I, I really didn't, you know, being a father and, and what you give to a son or a daughter is not so much what you say to them, but it's everything that you do. And I think that my father worked his tail off. I never saw anybody that worked harder than, than he did. And if, if there's one thing that I have in my life that I can always point to my, my dad to is the work ethic. No one's going to outwork me. They, they may be bigger, faster, everything else, smarter. But when it comes to working, hey, you better be ready tomorrow, the next day to come, because I'm coming with it. And to you. me, I still say thank you to my dad for that. So with this fatherhood festival, you're trying you, – you not only think it's important for fathers with Father's Day here, obviously, but you also think there's a huge gap in this country. You think it's bigger uh, – it's bigger than anything else. You talk about the ripple effect. It goes uh, – bad parenting leads to situations like we had in Uvalde and Buffalo, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, kids are crying out for love. They're crying out for guidance. They're, they're crying out for for someone to show them the way that they trust and someone that loved them and someone that they love and respect. Uh, and who better than the father? If uh, I, I really believe that when you begin to look at the statistics in our country of the difference that a father makes, and trust me, I was raised by my mother. My mother did a tremendous job. Uh, thank God for my mom every day. But my dad, it's, it's something about that father. When he stands up and he becomes the man that he's called to be, man, he can make a tremendous difference, not only in that home, but in the community. Mike, where'd you get this idea? I'm talking to Mike Singletary now. Where'd you get this idea? And when, when did you realize there's a need for a fatherhood festival, uh, June 17th through, through the 19th? Well, um, I, I'm just excited um, about the opportunity uh, that someone would have to say, hey, you know what, how about let's, let's, let's get the men together in this country. Let's get the fathers together and, and, and talk about what it, what it means to stand and, and what it means to, to guide and lead uh, because that's what we're designed to do. And um, if, if we can get this turned around, if, if we can get the word out and have people understand, particularly fathers, understand, then, then maybe those wives can begin to respect a man. Maybe those kids can begin to listen to a man. But I think right now we've kind of we've walked away from our job. And I, I think right now we're not doing the things that we're supposed to do. And because we're not leading, our country is going all over the place until we come back into those homes and begin to say, hey, dad's back. Let's, let's, let's go to work. I apologize for not being here, 
screw it up, whatever that is. But I'm here now. Let's go. So, um, so Mike, a couple of things listening. I, I, the last thing I want to do is start dividing people up on their race and religion. But in the black community especially, the, the numbers are staggering uh, how few have a mother and dad in the home. What happened? Well, you know, that's, that's a great question. You know, what happened to the black family? What happened to the fathers? And, you know, I think everything has a root. You know, it's so easy right now for a lot of people to look at what's happening right now, but it didn't start there. It started many years ago. It started in slavery. It started in in segregation. It started in, you know, there's so many things set up for, you know, that father not not to be married. There's so many things set up for the father. If he's at home and then then mom's not going to get money from welfare, it's it's hard for him to get a job. It's hard. So what has to come to, to, to the place of, you know what? I am the one. Every father, every black man, white man, whoever it is, have got to stand up and take responsibility for where they are. Now, I may not have got myself into this hole. There may be a lot of other things that happen in order for me to be where I'm at in this hole. And I'm looking up and, man, I got a long way to go. But guess what? I can get out of that hole. And if I can climb out of that hole, while I'm climbing out of that hole, it's right. going to give me the confidence. It's going to give me the hope. It's going to give me everything I need. By the time I get out of that hole, I'm ready to go to work and make a difference and look around for somebody else that needs some help as well. But it didn't just get there automatically. Uh, there's been a system in place, unfortunately, that uh, – and, and I'm not playing any kind of cards. I'm not playing any kind of games. I think you know what I'm talking about and anybody else that's listening. Um, you know, things take time to, to get where they are. And I just think if we can all talk about, well, how did it get here? How did it happen? Well, that's not important. What's important is what are you going to do about it today? And that's where we are, and that's what we're going to be talking about from Friday to Sunday. Understood. Um, a couple of things. I remember, you know, I did a show with Jim Brown for four years, and he told me when he was at Syracuse, best player in the country, and they, when they go down south, they were told the black players are going to stay in a separate hotel. And of course, his coach never went along with that, and they would end up they would end up finding a way to get around it. And then you have in the '60s. I just went through the Ford Museum, and they have Rosa Parks' bust, the same bust that she went to. She refused to go to the back of the bus, and they have like the actual water fountains were black and white. And you saw in the South the segregation that existed. We're roughly the same age, just a little bit older than me. In the North, I didn't see that. I read about it. It was on tests and studies, and you'd wrote papers on it, but. Do you when I see the when I see the South now and I see the North now and see America now, I see progress. Does Mike Singletary see progress? It depends on uh when you say you see progress, uh it, it depends on what progress means. You know, progress means different things to different people. I, I think certainly there's progress. You know, there there's not you know, um as, as many you, you don't see people getting hung. Um, you don't see people, you know, if you go to this place, you're going to get beat to death. You don't see that. But but I think there are still things in place. You know, it's kind of like the, the old fleas uh, test that they had. You know, um, a lot of times, you know, when, when you look at those fleas that they put in that jar and they said, you know what, these fleas keep jumping out of the, the, the jar. Well, they put a glass top over that jar and the fleas were trying to jump out and they couldn't jump out. And every time they jumped, they hit their head. Finally, uh, after the fleas hit their heads enough, they took the they, they took the top off, and guess what? They didn't jump anymore. And I think a lot of times when you look at African Americans in this country, so many of us have stopped jumping. 
You know, we feel like we don't have anything to jump for. And mm-hmm. there, there are certainly a lot of people out there that are still jumping out of that jar, man, and I'm proud of mm-hmm. them. But well, uh, yeah. it takes a special person to do that. And you're, and you're making sure people know that top's off. Uh, Mike Singletary, Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for being here, and best of luck in the festival, the 17th to 19th. Pick up your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com. Another great reason to go to Canton. Great job, Mike. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Love going on FBN. Haven't been on TV. This is, I've not been on TV all week long for the first time since, really, I went to Hawaii like 10 years ago, uh, a whole week. Uh, the President of the United States is speaking, speaking in Delaware, where he spends almost every weekend. Spends more time in Delaware than he does in the White House. I do not understand a guy that spent 40 years trying to get to the White House and won't stay in the White House, especially when he's got a myriad of challenges. Last night he spoke in a primetime address about guns. Now he's speaking about the economy. Let's listen. Regular gas, 476 is now your average. It's 1051. Here is Brian Kilmeade. What do you make of this inflation thing, Brian? We're tearing a hair out here. Gas is going up a nickel a day. Where's it end? Well, I'm not sure, but uh, we have so many Democrats who are upset by this. You saw Rokahana saying, Mr. President, you can do yeah. something about inflation. Yeah. Did you is see it... what he says he's going to do? Did you read the story? Rokahana is a progressive. He writes a guest essay in the New York Times saying what he thinks will cut, cut inflation. He wants the government to go out and buy vast quantities of wheat, corn, oil, soybeans, all that kind of stuff. He thinks that would be a great thing if the government buys it all and then distributes it around the country. Have you ever heard such bloody nonsense? It's true. Uh, it, it, that, and uh, he has some other interesting things to say uh, that are way to the left to where the president is right now. But you know what he's doing? He's saying we could do something. You throwing up your hands and saying, I can't do anything about it. It's not my fault. Blame Janet Yellen. It's not transitory. It's not me. Uh, I'm not a mind reader. It doesn't do anything. Stephanie Murphy, Florida Democratic Congresswoman, said this, this stuff that you're saying is not real. It is just for campaign talk. There's no substance there. I think that's important. When Leon Panetta hops on and says, apologize, say you were wrong about everything you were saying about the economy. Get together and try to solve the problem, because what goes beyond your show, Stuart, Neil's show on on the Business Channel and uh, our network is when people go to the gas pump, when they go to take out a loan to get their first house, the interest rates are going up. Uh, When everything they buy is more expensive, when the cookouts are now canceled, when the vacation no longer works, when prices on jet fuel is so high, when you can't staff a plane to get you where you have to go because they can't fill jobs in this country. That's when people go, when did this happen? Who started this and what is he doing? And how do you think it looks to foreigners who look at America? The shelves are empty in some grocery stores. There's a, milk, there's a formula shortage. Gas prices are going to the moon. We're probably going to have rolling blackouts this summer. How does, it, how does America look to foreigners at this point? It looks pretty bad, and that's not a good thing. You know what's so crazy? If this was Yemen, if this was Algeria, if this was Russia, 
they would say, what are you going to do? The, the economy's a mess and they can't do anything. This is all self-inflicted. This is rolling blackouts because we're determined to go on this slow roll of a green transformation. Yeah. This is all self-inflicted because the FDA didn't listen to the baby manufacturer, baby formula manufacturer said, if you shut down that Abbott plant in Sturgis, 40% of the entire market will collapse. They called Target. They called Walmart and said, get ready. Start to consolidate as much as possible because you're not going to believe what's going to hit us. The one thing foreigners will say is America's got great wealth. They're going outside every day and throwing it in the street. And the other thing I would say is this. Josh Rogan had a great column. You know, after World War II, we did a great job pulling off the best and the brightest to come here while Europe rebuilt, to get away from Nazi Germany, to get away from communist Soviet Union. And right now you got 140,000 Russians who want out of that crazy country. Right now you have a whole bunch of very smart people in Hong Kong who had a mini-democracy who want no part of China. Let's start greasing the paths to come here. The people yes, who are lined up please. to come here legally, like Stuart Varney did, legally. Accelerate the process because we have so many open jobs. And start. It's, those are the things you do if you want to make America better. Yes, it's just exasperating, isn't it, to see everything going wrong and nothing being done about it. Because well, it's, know- it's this hope, Stuart, because we have the natural resources. We don't need any favors. We just need competent leadership. Yes. They care about the country, not the party. That's why people should feel hope. There's yeah. a way out of this, and it's all right here. It's all within our grasp. You got it. We're going to be watching you tomorrow night, by the way, on One Nation, 8 p.m. Eastern, only on Fox News Channel. Brian, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Appreciate Stuart. It. Do not call Stuart it. between 8 and 9 because he's going to be watching the show, okay? Yeah, that's right, Stuart. actually. It's very true. Uh, hold all right, calls. still ahead, Brian. Uh, let's go to William WTRC in South Bend. Hey, William. Hey, Brian, thanks, thanks for taking my call. I, you know, I, I'm just dumbfounded with the fact that he continues the course. You have several Democrats that are standing up saying enough is enough. There's no change. They continue the course. We know that it's not Biden that's making these decisions. But I know this, that if it was the Trump administration, whoever is making decisions like this, they'd be gone. They'd be gone in a minute. And the thing would be corrected. None of that is happening. I, and I don't really see, other than on Fox, I really don't see people that are, that are talking out. I know that we say enough is enough. But I don't hear that from anybody. I mean, I'm in the general public. I don't hear people saying, well, yeah, this is ridiculous, this is ridiculous. They may mention the cost of gas, but that's it. There's nobody that's, that's that outraged with it. And I'm just wondering, how long is this going to be? Hey, William. I mean, William, I, I, I think that you may be susceptible to hanging out with people that agree with you. I don't. Uh, but just because of the nature of the people I hang out with, I still hang out with people even from high school. And they don't even bring it. They're, they're flabbergasted about the reality. Inflation's the big grounder that everyone can relate to. I think people are really fed up. I mean, well, one of my good friends owns a pool company, can't get people to work for him. I know a guy that owns five restaurants. It's a constant staff issue. I traveled over to, to uh, Florida. I've been in uh, Nashville. I, went over, I was over in Texas. I talked to everybody wherever you go. I have no idea their politics, but they all have the same complaints. And they know what it was like. Uh, they also have a very good feeling for those who let us live our lives during the pandemic and didn't clamp us down and lock our kids out of school. And that is not Republican or Democrat, but almost every Republican outside maybe Jared Polis in Colorado said, let's get back to life. So I think there's going to be a huge, huge awakening. And you'll find out this is competence or incompetence. 
One guy tweeted and got on your nerves so much. The other guy just seems he's got a bad staff and bad policies. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, and thanks so much for being here all week long. The number to call to be on, we'll be able to take some of your calls in about 10 minutes, is 1-866-408-7669. Also getting ready for the Saturday Saturday show. You watch it 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. One Nation amongst our guests, uh, Dave Portnoy. He's got to be talking about maybe this is the end of the of the over of the suddenly radicalized Me Too movement uh, about what happened between Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, something America couldn't get enough of. And uh, we're also going to be talking to Michelle Tafoya about Colin Kaepernick coming back, about the NIL controversy, what Mitch Daniels wrote about what's happening with uh, Purdue's of the world. They can no longer compete. When the NIL name, image, and likeness is in full swing like it is in Texas A&M, Alabama, and, of course, Notre Dame. You get a name, image, and likeness, get a lot of money uh, as a 19-year-old, and you just ain't going to be able to get that with the Boilermakers, perhaps. We'll talk about that uh, and a lot more, as well as having Bill Barr to talk about the Durham Report, how these verdict didn't go their way, but is extremely optimistic that we're going to get to the bottom of what actually was uh, Hillary Clinton was up to. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Uh, came to the same conclusion that this would be transitory. So they all made a mistake. Uh, and I think the president probably would be, would be helpful if he acknowledged that he made a mistake, uh, along with the uh, Treasury Secretary and the other economists. Uh, yeah. How about uh, I was wrong? Admit you were wrong about inflation, baby formula, and gas prices. That's what the Dems are saying and showing when it comes to the economy. Uh, as the American people buckle under the extreme financial stresses we're, we're experiencing. Number two. This man cannot remain power. We do not have a strategy of regime change in Russia. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. The United States remains committed to our one China policy. A nine millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. He does not support a ban on the sale of all handguns. <laughs> it's just insane that this is our government. Uh, gun Groundhog Day. Uh, our nation is horrified by what happened in Uvalde and horrified what happened in Buffalo, but fractured on the reasons. Biden took prime time uh, last night to blame guns. Republicans call for security and sanity. Uh, the Senate is focusing on common ground. Did the president make things worse last night and tougher? Shannon Bream had to follow up. The president was his her lead in. Uh, Sean Hannity had something to do with that. Then Gutfeld had to get everything out of his system. Then Shannon took the ball. Uh, Shannon, welcome back. It is great to be with you. Happy Friday. Uh, Same to you. First off, did the president make it harder to come to a deal after last night saying he wants an assault weapons ban and he wants to fine uh, gun manufacturers uh, and not talk about school security? Well, yeah, I mean, the fact that, you know, the White House has signaled very clearly he's not interested in that, quote unquote, or that's not his position. He doesn't want to go there. I do think when you take away the main conversation starter from the other side, it's really hard to get to the table and find something that you can do in common. He started out the speech by saying this is not about taking away rights. We're not trying to get anybody's guns. And then the uh, headline from I think it was the Daily Wire said then he spent the rest of the speech talking about how he was going to take away your rights and your guns. So, um, you know, I think he's got a, a 
both sides have got to, you know, know they're not going to get exactly what they want, not even close. But is there anything in common they can find? If the president immediately starts the conversation with, we will not talk about hardening schools, I don't think you get anywhere with Republicans. But what we shouldn't be, what about the American people? How can you possibly rationalize not fortifying a, a elementary school? You're sitting there mailing me. I got another three uh, tests for COVID-19, which I'm never going to use. I mean, he's mailing everything to my house. Do you think we could actually uh, secure every uh, school in this country? Why not? You find out how much it's going to cost. We already give the school district a ton of pandemic money. Why wouldn't be hardening the targets have something to do with this? Well, and we spend money on all kinds of other stuff that as a taxpayer I'm not thrilled about, but I think that we could find the money for this. I talked to a mom down in Texas who, after the Sandy Hook shooting, she decided to take matters into her own hands and started lobbying locally. How can we raise the money to make sure there's an armed officer in every single school? And she had to fight and fight and fight. And she said, listen, everybody in the community was pretty much for that. They thought it was a great idea. They want their kids protected, at least as much as we protect a, you know, a courthouse or a federal building like everywhere in D.C., has got armed protection, why not do that for our kids? If we have it at banks, we're protecting our money. We won't arm somebody to protect our children. And she said everybody was for it, and they had to fight and find the funding. But she said at times it came from DOJ grants, federal money. At times they raised it from within the community. But that everybody knows their kids and their schools uh, are completely you know, protected because, at least in the sense of having an armed good guy on the premises and, you know, single points of entry and other things that she really fought for. And she said, we had to do it in our district. It's possible for other people to get it done in theirs. Here's what Congressman Greg Stubbe said, who is, is a gun guy and has a gun in his house to protect his family and did a demonstration via Zoom. And everyone got nervous when he whipped out his gun. He's in his house. Cut 15. This is what he said last night with Tucker. That's the hypocrisy of the left. Joe Biden has all the security. Nancy Pelosi has all the security. The, the Capitol Police have all the security. Yet they want everyday Americans like you and me at our homes, at our businesses as we drive. Some of us that have concealed carry permits to not be able to use the very weapons that we can utilize to protect our homes, our families and our loved ones. Right. And that's exactly what this is all about. And, and that's just it. There's a there's a fundamental distrust there. But I get the sense that in the Senate, they're making some type of progress. Uh, I believe that Lindsey Graham is a part of that. I know Senator Cornyn's leading the Republican side. I know Senator Murphy's leading the Democratic side. Uh, so there is there's a sense that something's getting done behind the scenes. Chris Murphy said this, Biden is right. Doing nothing is not an option. Over the last week, I have been in almost constant communication with my colleagues to find common ground on a meaningful bipartisan package. It'll save lives. Momentum is building. We're going to keep at it. So we should have something maybe as soon as over the weekend or maybe by your show tonight. It's possible. I mean, at least they're having conversations. Um, and you got to see, I mean, the House has passed their own thing, and obviously it's pretty sweeping, and it's not going to get a ton of GOP Senate votes, if any, over on the Senate side. So we have to see what they're doing. Listen, if it's something like broadening background checks, which, by the way, are very broad as it is. Um, if you listen to some, um, you know, characterizations of what's going on out there, it's that guns are flying around without background checks and all of this, you know, millions of these are just unfettered and untraced and all that kind of thing. That's not accurate. But there are some places that I think reasonable people, including gun owners, could say, all right, maybe we do have more background checks for these types of transactions, that kind of thing. If you buy from a federally licensed arms uh, dealer, you have to have a federal background check. That includes at gun 
mojos. Um, and, and another thing is I think that there's so much misinformation or just a misunderstanding. Some of the language that people use, we saw this with Congressman Mondaire Jones yesterday, um, if you're using incorrect terminology about weapons, about ammunition, ammunition, about magazines, you can't even be having a good conversation about where we're going if you're not even on the same page with the terminology. And I find a right. lot of people, um, you know, I grew up the daughter of a law enforcement agent, and so I was trained very early on to have enormous respect for firearms, how to operate them, what they do, how to store them uh, properly. And so I think for, for people who are gun owners, um, at least have a conversation with them with accurate language so they know you're coming in good faith. So Mondier Jones went off, said, I'm going to pack the court, I'm going to do everything. He's the mm-hmm. congressman from New York who's going to uh, run against de Blasio in a new district here in New York. So here's what he said. So then Hillary Vaughn, after his rant, mm-hmm. talking about get rid of all weapons, i got to pack the court and get rid of the filibuster. This is what he said to her in the hall. Cut eight. You mentioned you want weapons of war out of circulation. What is a weapon of war to you? Assault weapons. Assault weapons. So is that like s- semi-automatic handguns and rifles? Semi-automatic weapons would qualify as assault weapons. And these are things that should be banned. These are things that we have previously banned. And, and that would almost take almost every gun off of, out of people's hands. I mean, true. I mean, handguns, for example, would not qualify uh, under, under what I just described. He doesn't know what he's talking about. No, I mean, handguns are, in the most part, semi-automatic weapons. So if you're going to say we're going to ban all semi-automatic weapons, I think people have in their mind – and listen, the assault weapons bill that was passed back in the 90s, it was about cosmetic features. Most guns that are out there operating, whether handguns or rifles, are – you know, you pull the trigger for each gun – for each bullet. Um, no one out there is legally operating a machine gun or something that has automatic fire. So when you say semi-automatic, you are talking about most handguns. Great point. I've never started to explain quite like that. It makes total sense. So the president of the United States said 11 times um, we have to act, we have to act, we have to act. I get it. So we have his party was having it out in the House and then the Senate that might be making some uh, progress. What I was also astounded by happened this week since the last time we spoke is that uh, NBC, CNN, Washington Post have something in common. They all are extremely uh, did not give Donald Trump, I don't think, a word of praise. And they go out of their way to make sure that people don't focus on some of the things that Joe Biden has done that have been absolutely awful for the economy and the country from Afghanistan on down. Once in a while, you see a column. But all three had stories this week about the disarray within the White House, big headlines, a lot of specifics about the gap between the old guard and the new guard. Twenty-four African-Americans have just left the White House. They feel totally ignored. And the president says, woe is me. I can't believe how low my numbers are. Were you astounded to see that? Well, you always have to start thinking about, like we do and like you do, um, when there are leaks, when there are unnamed sources from inside the administration, like who stands to benefit um, and why this conversation is happening now and why they're feeding so much information to the mainstream media about how things are not good inside. Is it that people are looking to avoid the blame to get out of there and get out of the way before they get caught up in the whole mess or get tagged or blamed for the whole thing? Um, I think it's easy to see every poll is worse than the last. When you ask people how they're doing, how they're feeling, families are doing financially, how they feel about the direction of the country, those numbers keep getting worse and worse and worse. And people are going to have to decide whether they want to stick around and be part of this administration and get tagged with that, or whether they want to start blaming other people in anonymous hit pieces and head for the doors.
So the, the thing that we were seeing now, the president of the United States just spoke for about 15 minutes, took a couple of questions, one of which the one of the questions was Elon Musk says the country's heading in a bad direction. He basically made a comment. Well, why doesn't he just keep on working, going to the moon? He wants to emphasize the deficits going down and he wants to emphasize the job numbers. They added 390,000 jobs, first time under 400,000, but more than the 325,000 they added. The problem is not the people getting jobs, it's the 11 million uh, out of jobs. Uh, I'm not saying that's bad news. And the people, the deficit has so much to do with the pandemic spending. It's totally disingenuous to herald that because he has not cut anything ever. What I find astounding is they're even outside Peter Ducey. We're starting to get some aggressive questions, for example, on the baby formula, which mm-hmm. we know so many people directly affected. They are worried about lunch today and what they're going to eat tonight. They can't find in Target or Walmart or anywhere. Listen to Ed O'Keefe. Of CBS, Cut 25. Were you able to speak with the president about when he was informed in April? I hear he talked about it himself. He said he was informed in April. So I don't I don't think I need to. The president mentioned that. He said that. So I don't need to clear that up. You heard directly from the president on that. What we were trying to figure out is when exactly in April was he told? Was it April 1? Was it April 30th? Was it April 15th? Somewhere else in there. I, I don't have a date to share with you. What I can tell you is he spoke to this yesterday, and he said it was in April. We're trying to get a sense of how do things operate here inside the West Wing and how they eventually rise to the level of mm-hmm. presidential involvement that then lead to things like invoking the Defense Production Act five, four or five months after the initial flags were raised. You're asking me for a specific name. I am telling you how the process works, and I'm telling you how it, it, it goes from uh, White House staff to regular channels to the president. Well, let me just, the FDA told them in February this plant gets shut down. The whistleblower wrote the letter in October. It gets to a desk in December. When the FDA gets shut down, the other competitors say that's going to be a big problem. It's 40% of the market comes through the Abbott Labs. They start calling Walmart and Target, but the president says in April, how would I have known? I'm not a mind reader. Well, the FDA never told you, maybe because you didn't name a head of the FDA, but there should have been some acting director there. So they're asking legitimate questions that they can't even do their story, Shannon, without these answers. She has so few answers and can't mm-hmm. even spin her way out of it. I could also have played Nora O'Donnell of NBC, similar cadence. Yeah, and this is where the rubber meets the road for them because this is real-life stuff. When moms can't feed their babies and when people can't fill up their gas tanks, it is going to spell real trouble potentially for the Democrats this fall. And for the White House right now, it's headache after headache. But this is the kind of thing you saw it, I saw it, we all saw this during the pandemic. People who were Democrats and many of them who voted for the president got increasingly frustrated about school closures and lockdowns and all of these things that happened, um, you know, and, and I saw people who I know in my own life that are moms who became very angry and frustrated who said, I'm not voting for these people again. I'm frustrated. I'm upset because now the real world impact is my kids and my family. You throw the formula on top of that and how people are going to pay rent and and for groceries. And if they can find things that are even in stock, that is real world stuff that makes voters, I don't care if it's a Democrat or Republican, they're going to make you pay for it because this is their life. And this is every day. And you can make speeches about how great we're doing and how the internal economic indicators are great. But when poll after poll after poll shows people don't feel it, they don't believe it, it's not their personal experience, it's trouble. Absolutely. It gets the parents, get parent, yeah, new parents, grandparents, they all see it. They're all scrambling. It's a 16 people out fanning out trying to find a mm-hmm. CVS or a Rite Aid that might have the formula. And it's kept behind uh, the counter. 
Uh, this is drama we just didn't need on top of the pandemic. It's like being a perpetual natural disaster if you're a parent. Shannon Breen, yeah, or you care about kids. <laughs> Well, and I was just going to say, it, people thought that they were voting for Biden to calm things down, to get rid of the chaos, get rid of COVID and have some sanity. And now when they realize that's not coming, they're second guessing. Understood. Uh, Shannon, we're going to uh, watch you tonight at midnight. Are you going to slip in a, a five appearance today? I am not. I'm only doing, unlike you, yesterday I did three. Today I'm, I'm only doing one job. But you enjoy your five jobs and I'll see you Saturday night. All right. Uh, Shannon, thank you so much. Shannon Bream, we'll see you at midnight tonight. one 408 7669 Brian Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Elon Musk has asked, has said that he has a super bad feeling about the U.S. economy. J.D. Diamond has said some more things. Well, let me tell you, while Elon Musk is talking about that, Ford is increasing their investment overwhelmingly. I think Ford is increasing the investment in building new electric vehicles, 6,000 new employees, union employees, I might add. Intel is adding 20,000 new jobs for making computer chips. Um, So, uh, you know, lots of luck on this trip to the moon. I mean, I I don't, I mean. Uh, What do I say to that? Um, the president of the United States had a press conference minutes ago, uh, wrapped up, took two or three questions, and then uh, walked out. And one of the questions you heard, it was a very good question. Jamie, Di- He didn't address Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan Chase, and he brought union jobs because Elon Musk doesn't want a union workers like Toyota, doesn't either. So, And Ford did expand, but you're nibbling on the edges. Intel coming back with one plant is not revitalizing manufacturing in America. And what they do is they worry. This is, you know, there are worries around the globe. Your answer is very simple. There are worries with every country, industrialized country around the globe. But I really feel there's so many indicators that show that I feel positive about coming out of this because you have to be a cheerleader when you're a president while saying the reality that if we could curtail the inflation and get it to begin to sink as the Fed works with interest rates and I work my way to make sure that maybe get a tax increase, we could try to steady the ship and be the first out of this pandemic. And then point out that China has just locked down 30 million people and are just now beginning to unleash. And that does affect us, but also they are a main competitor. And if you look at what's happening overseas, you don't want to be Russia either. We feel as though to be American right now, we're in the best position out of anybody else around the globe. But we do have our challenges. You don't say good luck on your race to the moon. You say thank you, Elon Musk, for starting three major companies employing tens of thousands of Americans. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. As of now, nearly 20% of our territory is under the control of occupiers, almost 125,000 square kilometers. It is more than the territory of all Benelux countries together. Nearly 300,000 square kilometers are polluted with mines and unexploded ordnance. And that is uh, the translation of President Zelensky's words into Luxembourg as he tries to keep uh, Europe engaged in a war that I know you agree and people understand this is really not about Ukraine. It is about Ukraine directly. But all of us, if if the Russians aren't going to gradually take back Eastern Europe, uh, joining me now in studio, a guy who needs no introduction to the dangers of war. 
and sometimes the reason we fight. Uh, Commander Jeff Wilson, he's a retired naval officer and uh, vascular and trauma surgeon and best-selling military thriller author. Uh, his new book's coming out next week. It's in paperback. That's really June 7th officially. Uh, it's called Sons of Valor 2, the second one in the series, Violence of Action. Uh, welcome, Jeff, back to the show. Yeah, in studio. Yeah, in studio. So you're able to years. watch him on Fox Nation. Yeah. All right, Jeff, uh, first off, your reaction to President Zelensky. He says, listen, I've lost 20% of my country right now. It's been occupied. Yeah, you know— I don't understand why everything is so partisan. That's my first statement. Well, I think we are kind of together in this. We are finally. But, you know, it always has to start out here and then work slowly in. I think that, um, you know, we live in a, in a, on a planet now. We don't live in – it's not like a ship to go from one, one continent to another. What happens in Ukraine affects everybody. Uh, and I think that we're a little slow to rise to, to helping Ukraine out. Like this – it shouldn't have gotten this far. Um, we can debate all day what that should look like, boots on the ground, weapons, you know. But the idea that uh, someone as insane as, the, uh, as Vladimir Putin is going to just stop if we just don't bother him in Ukraine is insane. I mean, we had Finland in play. We have all these other things that are going on. And so the idea that if we just don't make him mad, then he'll turn into this nice guy and that'll be the end. He'll just take Ukraine. That's it. Just Ukraine. Well, the actual uh, fight is unbelievable in that the more the – more, the, the, these guys weren't prepared to fight. Uh, their stuff is antiquated. A lot of gra- uh, uh, graft, uh, grift was taken off the top, so money put into the military wasn't getting there. The strategy's been terrible. They're commanding officers. They've lost 13 generals because they have to go to the front. Evidently, there's reports of Russians shooting each other, but yet they are still making gains because they do this long-distance artillery. They raise a city, and they go in and see what's left. When Ukrainians go to square off with them, they're very successful, trained in a Western fashion. That's right. And I think that this is – if what we've been watching in this conflict is a testament to the warfighter, right? Because you have these group of people fighting for their home and trained in a, in a very Western way, as you said. And then you have a group of people who are ordered to go somewhere they don't want to go and do something they don't want to do. And the reason these generals are all dying is because they have to go to the front to make sure their guys will fight. Like – that's not a recipe for success. So what a testament to to the Ukrainian people, um, but maybe a little bit of an embarrassment that it took us so long to get in there and help them the way we should. So right now the supply chains are short, and we know the Russians are in a small area right by their border. Richard Haas from the Foreign uh, Committee of the Council on Foreign Relations said this, cut 40. The trends are not good. Mass, sheer volume counts. This is a war that Russia is now concentrating geographically in the east and the south. They're not trying to take the entire country. And they are pounding and they're demolishing town after town, village after uh, village. And Ukraine is is paying an increasing price, not just its civilian population, but also... uh, it's military. So NATO countries are, yes, uh, you know, the flows of money, the flows of military aid, of intelligence are continuing. But Russia, again, has certain advantages in this phase of the war they didn't have earlier because, again, their, their forces aren't spread thin. Their forces don't need to be mobile. This, this phase of the war is playing more to Russia's strength rather than its weaknesses. Yeah, this is day 100. Yeah. So what he was saying uh, is that they're able to to get rid of these cities? The Ukrainians uh, back off, but they don't have the the weapon system to hit back at Russia. They are just out of their distance. They're losing between seventy and a hundred guys a day. Yeah, well, and and this fear that well, we don't want to we don't want to escalate things, right? That's what we keep hearing. We don't want to escalate things. We don't give them weapons that could be misconstrued as they can fight against Russia, but. Aren't they fighting against Russia? Like the, that, that mindset to me, again, back to the let's not poke the bear, let's not make him mad, 
that's a very naive thinking. If you think you just let uh, you let Putin take, okay, oh, we'll just let him take the the eastern part. Then maybe he won't take the whole thing. We'll just take the eastern part, and then he won't be mad at us, and he'll stop. Somebody like this is encouraged by that lack of response, and so I think it's more dangerous to let it continue. So, but yeah, um, that's the big problem: is we don't want them to have weapon systems that can be misconstrued into fighting into Russia. Is we're on the border of Russia, like we also can't shoot something that's just on our side of the border of Russia too. So. You know, some of this talk is just naive, I think. I think it's people that don't understand how weapon systems work. I think they don't understand military strategy. They need to be able to hit troops amassed on their border that are about to wipe out civilians. That's a good thing. Um, And the idea that we're not going to help support that is crazy. Right. And I think right now they say the coverage is down 22 percent around the globe. And I think Zelensky's doing a great job Zooming with all these other nations. Fifty nations have opened up their embassies within their country, which takes a lot of guts to do because they're still shelling from the outside. But the report that in Newsweek today that Vladimir Putin had cancer surgery in April, we've been unable to verify it. But is he the actor from what would people tell you, uh, Jeff? Is this guy acting in a rational way? You could think someone's acting evil but not irrational. Is this a rational way? I mean, it doesn't seem rational. I mean, I, there's a lot of people saying, oh, you know, maybe he's he, – if he's got this cancer diagnosis, maybe he's into this fatalistic uh, type of mindset and that's affecting his decisions. But if you look at Putin over time, he's he's never really been – rational. Like this isn't really that out of character. You know, Brian and I wrote this book in Collateral in 2019 um, that came out before all of this. And if you look at what we set up, we did it by studying our our character is uh, Petrov, but he's definitely a Putin analog. And we studied what Putin has done over the last couple of decades and how his mindset works and this whole mindset of, you know, we achieve by denigrating others. And, you know, there's it's a zero sum game, right? If I can only win if you lose. And if you look at that, what we wrote in that book was exactly what happened in Ukraine, exactly to to the step, to every chapter. Um, so I don't think this was unpredictable because I'm not that smart. Like we're, we're just not that smart. And we did a lot of research and we looked at how Putin's personality and how he runs his own government, how he mm-hmm. uh, manages foreign affairs. And I don't think this was unpredictable. So do I think he is unstable? I do. But I just think that this is what happens when an already unstable Putin is in a situation where he feels trapped and uh, and sees failure as a possible option. Author and um, and naval officer Jeff Wilson in our studio, and we're talking about not only your book, but as you see this war. So they say that it's a 620 mile front right now, uh, from Kharkiv to Mykolaiv, and right now what the Ukrainians are doing, and I think it's brilliant and smart is they're trying to take the areas in which it's understood to be Russians, and they're starting to do some guerrilla tactics, trying to blow up the, the hand-picked mayor from Moscow, trying to go after, target their military vehicles as they set up this infrastructure. They're trying to get resources back into an area they thought they could annex. How effective is that? Because you know that what it's like to try to fight off a guerrilla war what about trying to fight in a guerrilla war? Well, I think that this is a situation – this is what guerrilla warfare was designed for all the way back to our revolution, right? This is you – know, you've written about that Outnumbered. A lot. Yeah, outnumbered, a massive force. So how do you win? They're a you, stationary target. Stationary target. And so you want to, you want to degrade – 
their willingness and desire to fight. You just need to destroy their will. You're not, they're not going to defeat Russia. You're not going to see Ukraine moving into Russia, right? That's not possible. But what they can do is they can just simply defeat their will to be there. They can uh, get the Russian people, it's already happening, against Putin. It's a little difficult to be public about it in Russia. But um, So the guerrilla warfare is exactly what they should be doing and, and exactly the way they should be doing it, not because they can defeat the Russian military, but because they can defeat their will to fight. And right lastly, the president of the United States just said, I'm pushing, I might go to Saudi Arabia because I'm pushing for peace in the Middle East. He had it. The Abraham Accords, he walked away from it and tried to re-engage, is trying to re-engage Iran. And Saudi Arabia, he vilified a pariah nation. Now they won't take his calls, so he's going to go visit and basically beg them to do something we used to do here, and that's pump all of our own oil. Yeah, well, so energy independence is the key to everything in the Middle East, right? We knew that, and we gave that away. Um, but the other thing that's key is you look at a, a country like Iran. How do you, how do you defeat Iran uh, politically? And the report from Iran, they're, they hate their government so much, they refuse, they're chanting pro-American slogans yes. in the streets again right now. So it's so easy, right? So, you, you know, I hate to – everyone rolls your eyes if you want to quote Reagan because it's like so uh, – it's a million years ago. Peace through strength is what works with a, with a regime like that. That's what works with a Putin. That's what works with Iran. And that's you, what works when you kill Soleimani. That's what works when you – exactly. I mean that's a great example. So um, the idea that you're going to – beg these people to be nice to you and that that's how it's going to all become peace is just fantastical thinking. It's naive. You have to have start from strength and they have to believe that there are consequences mm-hmm. for bad behavior. And, and if there's not, you have nothing. And so, uh, by, by the way, uh, Jeff has got a book out coming out next week, but you can download it now. Can you go on Amazon and, and pre-order it? Yeah, you can pre-order it. And, okay. uh, yeah, and, and we, know it, uh, we know it is called Violence of Action. Uh, it's uh, the Sons of Valor series. This is book number two. It's on paperback. Uh, it's coming out on June 7th. But lastly, before I let you go, as we look right now at the current special operator situation, a year ago we were going to bat to stop the president and the Pentagon from firing Navy SEALs and special operators because they didn't want to get vaccinated. I don't want to highlight the situation because I assumed I would have heard more how they went ahead with it. What did people in, the, in that community telling you? Yeah, and without, you know, without betraying trust with people, I still have friends in the community. Um, there Definitely the situation got better. Um, look, you're going to spend a lot of money to train a SEAL. It's a little harder to get rid of, especially when you get to these more senior-level guys who have been in 10 or 15 years. You don't replace that guy by sending someone through boot camp. And so I think that it was a strong-arm tactic that would make them bend their will. These are the guys that don't bend a knee very easily. And I think they learned that. I think the reason it's so quiet now is because they realize, look, these guys are going to do what they're going to do and we need these guys. Um, so I think it's going to just sort of go away a little bit. Last week I was at the USS Yorktown, which is a museum as well as a historic yep. aircraft carrier that was replaced in one year after the after the original was blown up in 1942 by the Japanese. So I'm walking through there and they say there's a real worry in all the branches on recruitment when you look at the job market and we can't fill 11 million jobs, think about what it's like in the military. Oh, yeah. It's, so what they, do you hear? What do you what are you people saying? I mean, it is getting harder. It is getting harder to recruit um, because there's just uncertainty. You know, when after 9-11, when the whole country came together, everybody wanted to do something. Remember that surge of, you know, Pat Tillman, these these amazing Americans that said, they couldn't, look, a lot of people wanted to go in and couldn't get a call back. Get, yeah, you couldn't even get them. Uh, you couldn't even get a spot. It was just filling up so rapidly. I think that what you're seeing is there's not one specific thing. It's this era of uncertainty. You and I talked before about Afghanistan. 
that was an enormous, impactful, demoralizing thing uh, that it definitely affected um, the active military as much as it did the veteran population. And so when you see uncertainty in your government, it's a little hard to sign up for – Mm-hmm. You know, not not really knowing how that's going to look if you become uh, right. You got to start selling your uh, selling the uh, the branches, the six branches of uh, of the armed force, including the space force. Lastly, I am seeing now that Top Gun the military <laughs> community is getting optimistic that it'll provide the surge Top Gun two that Top Gun one did. Yeah, uh, for people signing up. Did you, did you see it? Not yet. Yeah, you got to see it. It's is great. it great? It's a great movie. So we had dinner last night with a real good friend, fellow author Jack Stewart, who is a retired. Top Gun instructor, Top Gun pilot. So that's who I wanted to talk to. What do you think about it? He was like, this is the best movie ever. Now he's, you know, he's our generation. Like I remember the first Top Gun uh, and he was like, that was one of the reasons he wanted to be a fighter pilot. So yeah, I think that that kind of thing and, and what was magic about it? It was all America. It was all military and it was apolitical. Right. Don't make Sylvester Stallone do another Rocky to get us thinking red, white, and blue again. All right, can someone help him out? He's getting older. Uh, best supporting acting. Well, you, you know when Sylvester Stallone's got to get best supporting actor. You know he's too old. Uh, Commander Jeff Wilson, thanks so much. Go out and uh, pre-order his book. It's on paperback beginning J- June 7th, Violence of Action. Sons of, uh, Sons of Valor, Violence of Action. This is uh, the next on the series. Thanks so much, Jeff. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, one We'll get to your calls next. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions, hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You got lucky tonight. We're back with attorney Michael Avenatti. He is a main player. To me, you're like the Holy Spirit. You are (laughs) all places at all times. He's out there saving the country. Look, I think you're doing a hell of a job. I don't think you're in this for money. Looking ahead to 2020, uh, one reason why I'm taking you seriously as a contender is because of your presence on cable news. Right, and he's a genius. That Brian Stelter, he was right on the money. Michael Avenatti gets what? Four more years from stealing money from a hooker. Uh, from Stormy Daniels. Who would think this guy's got Michael Cohen upended administration on every single channel? No one did a background check. Evidently, his whole law firm was going belly up before he took on Stormy Daniels and decided to make a take five hundred thousand or more, five hundred, three hundred to or five hundred thousand of our eight hundred thousand advance and take advantage of a woman. Tucker Carlson really nailed it. Michael Avenatti, more time in jail. Another win for President Trump. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. This just in, the Phillies have fired Joe Girardi. I was mad at the Mets for not hiring him yeah. because they were, didn't want to spend because that was the Will Ponds. But now it looks like he's been fired. they got a lot of talent. Quote, it's been a frustrating season for all of us as we feel that our club has not played up to his capabilities. While we all share responsibility for the shortcomings, I felt that a change was needed, that a new voice in the clubhouse would give us the best chance to return things around. They still go, oh, I'm a ton of money, right? Oh yeah, I mean he's got he's got another what two years I think left on his contract. He's Rob Thompson is the new uh, new manager who spent ten of twenty eight season with the Yankees. I remember him. Next, Stacey Abrams on board of a foundation awarding millions of dollars to woke professors pushing prison abolition and CRT. Does not surprise me. Let everybody be clear. Do not let her paint herself as a moderate. Georgia, I know we're all over Georgia. We're blessed to have a lot of stations there. Understand who is running against Brian Kemp. I mean, she was a phony from when she was trying to play off the middle by saying she was against defunding the police and then trying to do that uh, walk back 
when the All-Star game was pulled. Yeah, Abrams, who tried to distance herself from the hardline rhetoric of the hashtag to fund the police movement, has received at least $52,500 in income from this foundation, the Marguerite Casey Foundation, a privately grant-making foundation named after uh, the sister of UPS founder Jim Casey. So good luck with that. Know what you do in Georgia. Next, Elon Musk, the president just talking about him, says Tesla uh, uh, will, uh, an AI will... Uh, yeah, uh, Tesla, Tesla AI Day. Uh, AI Day pushed to September 30th. Evidently, the uh, it, it has not arrived yet. The date was originally set for August 19th. Tesla also is laying off some of its workers. My favorite CEO now, Ford CEO Jim Farley, says customers will pay tens of thousands of dollars to sleep in their cars. Farley has said advanced driver assistance systems, including uh, full autonomous capability, are something customers will be willing to pay big bucks for. I rode in one of these. Uh, it's pretty impressive. I've never ridden a car that's driverless, but I watched. It was the demo model of the Lightning. Was it the Lightning? Yeah, of the Lightning. Pretty amazing. I've never in a car. She just put it. She didn't say, I don't encourage people falling asleep. Uh, you're not supposed to. Uh, but I watched it negotiate lane changes and everything. It was pretty amazing. Does it make you, did it make you feel any bit uncomfortable not having anybody I can Well, I was, if I was driving, I don't think I'm going to feel comfortable. Maybe yeah. ever. But when I was there, I looked at her and I'm like, it's run, running pretty good. You know, slowing down when hitting traffic, it's pretty. I, I remember I said, I talked like this when these cell phones came out and I was saying to people, you mean I'm going to be able to make a call wherever I go? In cars? Remember we used to call it car phones? Yep. Remember you're on the car phone. So uh, maybe I will get used to it, but right now I can't see getting used to it. Watch One Nation, 8 p.m. and then 11 p.m. Put it on your DVR Saturday Night Fox News channel. Great guests. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.